America's first family of 21st century LGBTQ media. OutQ's Johnny Mac and Logo's Richie Roy. Together for your entertainment, for your understanding, and for some of you, for your fantasies or bewilderment. Brothers from a different mother united for the Gay BC Happy Hour. Gentlemen, time to show off your, uh, mic technique. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another happy hour. Glad to have you with us. And of course, on the West Coast, we've got our uh, intrepid co-host, Johnny Matt. Hi, John. I, I feel like a, every time you say that, I feel like a aircraft carrier. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what Big, I'm Big, mighty, yeah. and pushing through the through the roughest of seas, which we've exactly. been through lately. <laughs> right. So how's your week been? It's been an uh, interesting week. Uh, it should have been just kind of really um, not much of a week at all. But for some reason, a whole bunch of little things have popped up here and there. And I made the mistake of turning the news on last night for like 45 minutes. And I pretty much have not been paying attention to it for the better part of the last week. And in 45 minutes, I went from feeling pretty good about being an earthling to uh, just wondering, what the heck are we doing here? <laughs> so I had to run away to my bedroom and hang out with some friends on uh, one of those Twitter spaces last night just so that I could get my head out of all the muck going on in the world and uh, and then today, uh, it's just been a whirlwind. Uh, things that were supposed to take five minutes took an hour and a half today. And I, so I've just been looking forward to getting together with you and our audience and talking about the stuff that, you know, really matters to us. Exactly. And uh, with that, I think we can go to the not-so-great state of Tennessee. I'm telling Tennessee's you— is Tennessee is, is that state are they are they like in a in a MMA match with Florida for trying to take the title as being the most homo and transphobic state in the history of the United States of America or what It's crazy because it, you know the, the people you know I have conversations with with people who live in Nashville gays who live in Nashville and they really try to convince me, you know, Oh no, I, you know, Nashville's really gay. It's really great. And I'm like, yeah, well, what state are you in? Like once you get out of like what, you know, like the literal like plexiglass bubble over, you know, downtown Nashville, what's the rest of the state like? And I have and, to tell you Nashville itself, while there are many great people there and uh, lots of good things are happening there, there's a lot of crap in in country music USA too, um, and it's it, it's really a very strange place in that regard. I remember the first time I went there, uh, I was it was at a time when I was working at Sirius Satellite Radio, and we actually went and did uh, my show from there for three days. From there, um, well, they have a LGBT bookstore. And it serves kind of mm -hmm. like a community center, and. Uh, or maybe it's a community center that serves kind of like a bookstore. 
But it was a great place and great people and all the uh, fine folks who were involved in different organizations there. Uh, huge uh, LGBT uh, community uh, around Vanderbilt University uh, and all that. And, and yet the shenanigans that happen right there in that city um, make me shake my head sometimes too. And all the stuff we've seen about the anti-drag stuff, all the stuff we've seen over the last four or five years about all of the um, embracing of the Confederacy and all that stuff, it just it makes me shake my head because it's a beautiful place, beautiful people, but they've lost their minds. And a little bit further afield, um, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, they have gone so off the rails. Mm-hmm. So what happened in Murfreesboro? Uh, I don't know. You know, actually, in a way, it doesn't surprise me. A guy who used to work for me um, moved there. And uh, and I could see people hating um, gays and lesbians right and left because he lived in their town. But uh, aside from that, uh, it was pretty creepy to see that the, the city there has passed... Um, has passed laws that um, have essentially made it illegal to be homosexual, at least to yeah. display it on on the streets of of Murfreesboro. Yeah, and and it, and the punishment is if you if you because it, it's a, it's a law against quote indecent conduct and lewdness and all this stuff, but the the definition points to another part of the city code that, that that basically says homosexuality. Yeah. So basically homosexuality is itself indecent by the way the law is drafted. And so what that means is that anyone who, um, you know, conducts indecent conduct, like being a gay in public, um, can be bar- barred from basically running a business or doing any kind of public business for two years or if if you're, you know, acting gay in public was in front of a minor five years. Yeah. Um, just so the audience knows, I did reach out today and speak with some people at the American Civil Liberties Union, and they are involved in litigation uh, on this particular uh, issue. And unfortunately, I did get an a email back late today uh, and unfortunately, on such late notice, they were not able to join us this evening, but they would be happy to join us down the road and talk further about this. They have another um, news release that they're getting ready to issue, uh, according to the message I got back today. And um, and we'll hear from them probably in the next couple of weeks. But uh, in the interim, what happened was is that the ACLU first got really involved in, in putting up a, a roadblock uh, on this uh, legislation or this, you know, municipal law uh, taking uh, effect because there was going to be a pride event there in Murfreesboro. And so uh, when that was coming on and, and, you know, they tried to stop the event from happening because it violated this dumb law, uh, they the ACLU's uh, LGBTQ project got involved and they did manage to get a judge who put a stay on the law um, pending that. So I, I believe that the event itself happened, but this stuff is ongoing, of course, because it involves so many different aspects of life for people in uh, that city. So um, we're going to watch it closely, and we're going to get somebody to come on and join us in a couple of weeks, I think, and get an 
update on on what's going on with that. Um, you know, of course, this means that things like you know the libraries have to pull LGBTQ content from their shelves, um, uh, you know, and other kinds of things that they consider to be shocking and adult-oriented books. Uh, in the story that uh, Richie and I first had an opportunity to look at about this uh, library director, Rita uh, Shacklett, was worried back in August that these new rules were going to prevent kids from um, being able to access the books that they needed for their studies. And she said that uh, a lot of the classic high school books, such as To Kill a Mockingbird, are now classified as adult I'd like to hear this be argued by Atticus Finch in a courtroom myself. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of this, um, you know, even even aside from the just the straight up book bans, I think one of the things that I think um, has really been uh, a huge success from the homeschooling and conservative side of of the of the ledger to make the public schools basically untenable mm -hmm. because in the past, you know, there would be, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird has been on the high school curriculum for decades. It's not a controversial book, but this new weaponizing of kind of the Karenization of, you know, of school parents, um, it, what it really leads to is, you know, these things, people ma making a fuss, these moms for liberty, making a fuss over books that are basically have any racial or set or gay content at all at whatsoever. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have a similar thing happening. And I know, I mean, we're, we're kind of smacking a black eye on Murfreesboro, Tennessee and several other parts of Tennessee, because we've had all these stories about everything from drag queen storytelling hours to, you know, to other uh, nonsense that has, um, uh, you know, surprised many of us. Uh, but then again, not really surprised us because we consider uh, where we're talking about. But here in generally regarded very progressive liberal California, we've got the same stuff going on in Orange County. Uh, pride flags there are not flying at Orange County government-owned properties uh, because the County Board of Supervisors in Orange County, uh, which has a history of being very conservative, but then started to take a, a left turn and head blue over the last half dozen or so years. Um, they're now run by a bunch of morons over there who are exhibiting their homophobia and, and transphobia and so this is happening all over this country, even in uh, traditionally uh, very progressive states and, and counties and, you know, uh, with large, large LGBTQ populations. So uh, you've got to be paying attention to this stuff. As much as I didn't like listening to the news for 45 minutes last night because it made me sick to my stomach, we still have to pay attention. We have to stay involved. We have to be involved with voting and, you know, getting candidates into office who are going to be on these county boards, these school boards, and so on, uh, because they just grew up from there to be, you know, from little baby lawmakers to, you know, big, bad, grandfatherly monster lawmakers in Washington, D.C. And we've got to stop this shit in its tracks. 
Well, this goes back to something we've talked about on the show many times, which is the importance of paying attention to local. You know, the federal, you know, the presidency is interesting. Sen- you know, the Senate and the House, you know, feel momentous for sure. Federal elections get a lot more voters. But when it comes to the things that matter, things like Murfreesboro, Tennessee or Orange County, well, those are those are municipal and county level governments. Yeah. And um, though that's where, you, you know, you need to not. I mean, my suggestion is don't focus very much on the national you know, news, because a lot of that is stuff that, you know, you don't have any control over and doesn't necessarily directly affect you. You have to know what's going on generally. But the stuff at the local level, that's where you can make a difference, where your voice matters and where you can actually get really involved in a very substantive way. And so, you know, if if you think about a place like, you know, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, what if there had been a concerted effort by Democrats to get in in a position of power Democrats? I, I can guarantee you that, you know, Murfreesboro, Tennessee is run by a bunch of Republicans. And, you know, if there had been efforts down ticket to actually try to flip particular places blue, that that would have a huge ripple effect and build the deep bench that we need actually for people to kind of move up from the, you know, from the hinterlands into the sort of national stage. Yeah. It's, uh, it's mind numbing. And, you know, I, I will say, because I think that, um, I think that, I don't want to put this. I didn't really want to go into what I was watching last night that that got me so upset. But the last story I watched last night on the news had a guest on the program that talked about the fact that they had a one-year-old grandchild and that they were absolutely stopped in their tracks, stopping to think that because of what could happen next year at the polls— that their grandchild might grow up in an America not knowing what democracy or living in a democracy is. And and that might sound like hyperbole, but it's not. Because the way that we're going and with the number of people in the electorate who have been convinced somehow, some way, that, um, that these kinds of things that we're talking about, um, that they're not really the big deal that we think that they are um, and yet they are because you have a guy who's running for president right now and a bunch of supporters who surprisingly to me include communities of color who will be among the very first and foremost to be rounded up and put into these camps of millions of people that he's talking about creating a concentration camp like uh facilities like they had Nazi Germany. It's just, it's like, how can we go backwards like this, knowing what has already happened? And how can it be at the hands of people who will be some of its biggest victims when when and if it did happen? I mean, I don't get it. I just absolutely don't get it. I mean, I think... Really, this, I mean, I, I have a lot, I mean, that was a lot of stuff to unpack, but I think what a lot of that really circles around is the kind of 
elusive and sort of mercurial nature of the American dream itself. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people, uh, including people of color, including, you know, people from disadvantaged communities and stuff, the American, the idea of the American exceptionalist, the idea that you might be the one, that story, that great biography of the person that comes out of nothing to be a great someone, that is this kind of universal idea. You know, you could be a bum or you could be president. Yeah. That suggests that everyone has both options. And I think that um, the Republicans, for whatever reason, have been just better at messaging, I mean, as as completely dishonest as the message is, that they have the story for a certain group of people, including, like you said, in, you know, increasingly certain Latinx communities, certain Asian American communities, um, and, you know, which, as you said, would honestly be directly punitively affected by those those leaders. But it's what they they're they're buying the story. Yeah. If you want to jump into the conversation with myself or Richie this evening, we would love for you to add your voice to this dialogue. And we have a phone number just for you. It's area code 760-677-0111. It's also published on the gbc.com and gbchappyhour.com homepages. So if you forget the number, uh, you can get it there. And you even get to listen to the show while you're sitting on hold waiting to come on and yap with us. So give us a ring. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about that former New Jersey governor, the one who was that closet case creep, Jim McGreevy. Apparently, he hasn't finished up with politics. From GayBC.com, this is the Happy Hour with your hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mack, your source for conversation, current events, culture, and all things LGBTQ. Yes, welcome back to the show. Um, yeah, so and I, I think I think um, John will have to Johnny will have to put a pin in that and come back to the topic we were just talking about because I think the idea of what stories different populations are being told and what lies they're being told or untruths is really important because when you think about the the premise of a democratic electorate from the democratic side is uh, is a big tent. You know, it's it includes people of you know Latinx folks, Asian American folks, uh, Black folks. You know, a lot of different constituencies uh, that all kind of are you know different but unified. If if the Republicans are successful in starting to peel away certain key demographics with lies. It's worth talking about, and it's worth trying to fix that. It is. I totally agree with you. But um, it, your guess is as good as mine in terms of whether or not we can actually achieve that uh, successfully in the time frame that we have left to do it. I mean, it's it. people don't want to believe this, but it is a ticking time bomb. I feel like I'm watching one of those movies where the guy is wearing the bomb vest around him and he's been stuck in it by some, you know, terrorist creep and like the police are trying to figure out if they can get the thing disarmed before it goes off and blows everybody to smithereens because 
we're really at that stage now. And I would never have thought that after we got past that last period of nonsense in our administration of this country. But the fact that it has come back with such a uh, enormous roar and that there are as many people as there are that are supportive, I want to believe that there still are far more people who have their wits still about them. But I don't know because I think that the the Democratic candidate or the Democratic uh, National Democratic National Committee, the DNC, I think that they are the worst marketers and the the worst communicators uh, in the history of mankind because they have the truth and reality on their side. They have a whole list of accomplishments that have happened in the last three years under the current administration that have turned this country around tremendously from the prior administration. And people are acting like that's not the truth. And it's right there in black and white in front of them. And so I don't know how you actually get through people's minds when I. it's almost like people today want to believe in conspiracy theories. Like, that's what they live for. Almost like living for watching that terrible crap they call reality television. Which is yeah. what he is. Right. I mean, I, I think that, that there is a certain percentage of the population that ultimately their their goal is to be entertained by government. Yeah. And they win when people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, the former president, Lauren Boebert, um, Tucker Carlson, not, he's not elected. Um, but, you know, these these uh, you know, these folks who are just Paul Gosar, trolls, Jim Jordan, all of those freaks. Yeah. And so and so you have certain people who like that kind of just that kind of chaos, you know, sort of chaotic I would say domestic terrorist energy. They think that's fun. Yeah. It gets their it gets them excited. But again, we've talked about this so many times on the show. Good government can be very boring. And actually, that's the point. A well-run government just seamlessly works in the background. Yeah, kind of it like shouldn't a be with, it shouldn't know, be it with just, top of the conversation. It we never be. used I mean, to talk about this stuff at all. Right. And so and so, you know, th this goes to, I think, you know, two things. One is the um, is the is the narrative. This is the a media problem. And then two, you have the fundamental problem, which is, uh, it's a you know, conservatives have are playing a rope-a-dope game with the, with the entire federal government, because I mean, set aside defense, which will never actually the defense is like a, its own thing. It's set that aside. No yeah. one ever. That's not ever a, an issue. Right. But we're talking about actual gov. You know, just the rest of the government. Um, that there is uh, the conservatives don't want the rest of the federal government, the regulatory state, to exist at all. So when they're in power, they use the levers of federal power to screw things up, to they they throw away all the federal plans, the, you know, the big ideas. They want to devolve everything down to the states and just basically shrink the federal government to nothing. So if they're in power, they win. If they're not in power, they use the, the democratic structures in place that a minority has to also screw with the federal government and prevent it from actually functioning. Mm -hmm. So either way, they win that particular narrative, which is the federal narrative 
in the legislature, that the federal government is feckless and doesn't work. And the fact that they've gotten us in this position where we have to advocate strenuously to just keep the nice things you already have is very frustrating because that also doesn't feel very like a, a great sales pitch. Yeah. Vote for us. We will keep life as decent as it possibly could be as it is now. Like, the funny that's thing not is, a real... is, too, is that they want you to believe that if they had control of the whole world, that things like the price that you pay at the gas pump would be like ne next to nothing. It would be next to nothing. When, in fact, the reality is, is in their uh, world of being unencumbered or business being unencumbered, uh, by the burden of the government, uh, you know, having that regulation there, uh, what the reality is is we'd be paying gas prices like they do in other places around the world, like ten bucks a gallon. Right. Well, and, and yeah, not to go with the fact that like there are these certain macroeconomic indicators that people, you know, in polls blame the president for, and it's like, well, there's things like OPEC commodity like fluctuations and all these things that the president has literally no control over right. and yet the things that they do have control over people kind of give them a pass uh a lot of times so very frustrating yeah we're going to continue our conversation we will at uh, eventually get back to talking also about uh about jim mcgreevy he wants to uh, run for mayor now in jersey city new jersey apparently he's got a good view of that statue of liberty and he wants to keep it and have the public pay his way through life again. Um, we're also going to talk about the Pope. He actually did something really cool in East Texas. Yep. He did. Pope Francis is in the news with us next as we continue with more of the Happy Hour. With Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mack. Thanks for being here tonight. Your weather outside might be frightening, and Jack might be nipping at your... Uh, forget it, guys. I'm not reading any more of this smut. Even this microphone has its limits. Back to your hot toddies of LGBTQ stuff. It's Santa Mac and his reindeer Richie. Oh, and me? I'm Howard the Hanukkah Bush. I don't get no respect. Take it away, you silly seasonal homos. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the show. Nice so, to have yeah, you with us tonight. We, what was that? I just said it was nice to have people with us. It, indeed. Um, so, uh, we have a bunch of stories that are interesting coming up. Um, and one of them is about uh, former Governor Jim McGreevy. I don't know if you remember Jim McGreevy, but uh, he was the... Uh, governor of new jersey i'm gonna hold and, you right up right there okay um and uh we actually have uh, a listener who wants to jump in on our topic we were just talking about uh, before okay. we went to the break and let's welcome uh anthony who's calling from sacramento hi anthony how are you whoops hang on hang on anthony from sacramento are you there yes hello so what's hey, on evening. your mind well, you were talking about how the Democratic Party is really awful at communication and, you know, public affairs sort of thing. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think our previous president made such a media circus out of everything um, that 
the public expects that now. They expect to be entertained uh, or, and or they expect a regular connection, uh, regardless of what your uh, political affiliation is. And I don't think the Democratic Party has really caught on to that, that you don't have to make it a circus, but now the public wants to be feeling more connected to what's going on. And, uh, and the Democratic Party, they're just not putting it out there. I think it's a generational gap thing, probably. Uh, but they're just not, they're not catching on to the fact that, hey, if, if we accomplish something, we really need to get out there and announce that here's what's happening, here's what we accomplished, and, and stay in connection with the people who really matter. Well, I think we could all agree that as far as progressives go, Barack Obama understood how to use the technology, the Internet age, young people, and messaging to get a lot of people really energized when he ran for uh, for president in, well, 2008. And so uh, I'm wondering, though, now we have certainly got a lot of young people who feel like they have a lot to lose, and they do, um, if things don't turn around. How do we get them to use the tools that we have today to reach people the way that people need to be reached today, which is not through television and newspaper and radio? Uh, and how do we get them to uh, effectively put campaigns out there? I mean, I think that you know, a group of former Republicans have, again, done probably among the best of the jobs. And in fact, we had a young lady join us, uh, Kate Salkowitz, joined us uh, some months back talking about her job working at the Trevor or at the uh, uh, at the uh, Lincoln, out, project. Lincoln Project uh, and what they were doing to really kind of stuff it back in the face of the right. But we've got to I think we have to to fight fire with fire. And the problem with the DNC, Anthony, to me has been not just that they don't know how to market, it's that they have this attitude, uh, and I have seen it for years among uh, high-ranking Democrats in this country, they have this attitude that um, we're the party of decorum. We, we can't fight fire with fire. We can't be dirty in our messaging and so on. Um, and I'm not suggesting that they have to be, you know, total a-holes, but they do have to get people's attention. Yeah, there has to be a certain amount of theater, if you will, yeah. to get people riled up and excited. But you got to get them riled up and excited about good things and positive things. Um, one of the things that concerns me as well is that I know for myself there are some social issues that are going on right now. And I just sit here and shake my head thinking some of this far left stuff is, is too left for me. And I think that there's a lot of people who are feeling that right now, that they are, they would say, consider themselves moderate to left, and that some things are getting so severely left that they're leaning a little bit more towards the middle and the right. And I think that's where we need to be concerned, because we may be ending up losing voters. As much as some people dislike the previous administration, there are some key issues right now that I think might shift some voters around. But one of the things I think would be very important is to do a grassroots campaign again, where we actually have people out and about at different events, uh, at universities and things like that, and talking about here's why it's important to vote. You're going to street fairs, things like that. Here's why it's important to vote. Here are things that are on the table for voters to consider. Even if you don't think it's important, here's the ramifications of what happens if you don't vote. And I think we saw that 
when our last president got elected, some people just leisurely thought, oh, he'll never win. And they didn't vote or they were just kind of very leisurely about it. And it's like, well, you didn't vote or you didn't care. And look what ended up happening. Yeah. Uh, and we're still feeling yeah. the ramifications of that. So Yeah. And I, and I think, um, you know, kind of to the original uh, point, I think I've always had a, a lot of um, derision for and and frustration with the dnc specifically as an organization you know when people talk about the quote the democrats or whatever i mean a lot of democrats are doing a lot of really important good advocacy work you know think about like an aoc you know she's really someone who's cracked the code in terms of new media things like instagram and you know and tiktok and stuff but um but you know uh, Apart from uh, some of those people, the DNC is like they act like they're all they, like they're um, bureaucrats in Brussels. You know, this kind of bloodless, you know, blue suit, uh, brown shoe, you know, kind of vibe where they seem completely out of touch with any sense of momentum or importance. And it's just it's really just about um, kind of fundraising, this bloodless fundraising. It really doesn't they don't have any connection points to the voters, except to irritate them with things like Act Blue, um, you know, solicitations constantly. Right. Hey, Anthony, thank you so much for your call at 760-677-0111. Everyone else uh, that would like to in, uh, get involved in this conversation with us tonight, you're welcome to call as well. Again, 760-677-0111. Back to Jim McGreevy now, uh, Richie, as you were saying. Yeah, so Jim McGreevy was formerly the governor of New Jersey, um, a Democrat, and um, he got caught up in a a little bit of a of a of a pickle. What happened? Well, as I recall, and I don't remember everything, but I was living actually in the greater uh, New York, New Jersey, uh, Connecticut uh, tri-state area at the time that all this was uh, coming down, and uh, if I recall right. He was originally married to a woman, and uh, he had to um, square things away because of a affair that he was having while he was with her, and he was in office. And um, you know, and then he came out and he was really playing up on the fact that he was, you know, America's gay mayor. You know that that he was now out of the closet and living his life openly, except that you know he on the public time and dime had been lying to his own spouse and there were some other concerns and I thought that there might have been some sort of uh, financial shenanigans as well at that time I don't remember I didn't go back and read all the the stuff on that but um, but I do remember that he certainly caused quite a flap and that they then uh, did he step down did he resign or did he was he recalled I for some no, reason I think I'm thinking he resigned. He re- did he resign? Yeah. And and so uh you know that you know that was uh uh real black eye for uh, Democrats in uh in the Garden State at that time and and he was one of those people who kind of fell into the same category as another uh popular uh, at one time uh Democratic lawmaker from that region of the country uh, named Anthony Weiner. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it was just a not a good time for Democrats. And 
And now he's back and he wants to be the mayor of the city of Jersey City, which if you uh, know anything about, you know, where that is and all that, it's essentially it's suburban New York City. It's right across the Hudson River uh, from lower Manhattan. And uh, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. Would you, Let me ask you this, uh, Richie, since you're from New York now, um, uh, if our friend George Santos ran again after having five years of not running for office and not uh, at least publicly being known to lie to anybody, would you ever reelect him? Right. I mean, or vote for I him. Mean, I mean, you know. I mean, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, exactly. But the thing with Jim, I mean, but the thing is, I say, you know what? I say, go for it. I say, Jim McGreevy, go for it. And here's why: the Republicans. Uh, especially as of our former president and the people who have come thereafter, the MAGAs, shame is no longer a word that is operative for them. They are shameless. They are absolutely shameless, guileless, just and willing to lie, cheat, and steal just day to day for even no reason. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, let's stepping play back the, to let's what play I just, the same game. Stepping back to what I just said a few minutes ago, um, I don't know if if I like that because while at the same while I just got through saying that you know that the Democrats always play by the or use the uh, excuse of we're the ones that are part of the party of decorum and we have to do things you know this way uh, at the same time I don't want us to be the party that's like you know okay well we can just throw all of our ethics to the curb and and keep rerunning the same old shit different day i mean i think that i think that there's i mean the, the jim McGreevy thing is is you know i guess it brings up the question like how much of a pass do you get if you were someone who is you know hungry for power political power such that you live your life untruthfully for a long time mm-hmm. like you know do is that something that we kind of you know, say like, okay, well, we get it. Like, and you know, you have, you have to take your, your time, you know, outside of the sandbox, but ultimately we'll let you back as opposed to, you know, George Santos, I mean, completely lying about his entire narrative and all of that. I feel like that's a, of a different quantum. I'd like so, to know what Cory Booker thinks about Jim McGreevy because Cory Booker, uh, as you know, the former mayor of Newark, New Jersey, and now is a statewide elected official as a United States senator. Um, he has, I think, established a really good record of being an honest lawmaker. I, I don't see him as being somebody who is, uh, you know, on a power trip like his uh, fellow United States senator, uh, who is now in a world of trouble and going to be facing felony uh, criminal charges. But uh, Bob Menendez, is it Menendez? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, uh, I'd like to hear what he thinks about him because he knows the job, what it takes to be a, a mayor in a major, you know, uh, northern New Jersey city. Uh, but I have not heard uh, from his camp yet. And and if that's out there, you know, I'd certainly be interested to hear it. But I don't know. I just, I kind of had hoped to not ever hear Jim McGreevy's name again because he really did paint a, a mark on all of our foreheads in our community. 
Yeah, but unfortunately, this it kind of goes to the um, uh, the unbridled egotism of a certain particular percentage of the population that tend to find themselves involved in politics, which is you know whether you look at a Jim McGreevy and Anthony Weiner, a uh, Cuomo, for instance. Oh yeah, they cannot. And, and actually, I mean, even to the, to that extent, kind of Hillary Clinton, like they cannot just go out back into the nowheres. They have to be part of the conversation. They have to run for office. They have to be in front of the cameras. And these people cannot be suppressed. They will not. <laughs> they they will find their way back. Um, and Jim McGreevy is just a reminder of that, that, that these extremely egotistical political minds need need this need the, the that energy unfortunately uh, because our time is uh, eating away this evening and we've had a lot of fun talking about uh, these particular issues we're not gonna have an opportunity to get to some of what we had hoped to do in this hour and so uh, I'd like to um, reserve a little time in our next hour to get back uh, to the story about um, Pope Francis and his kicking somebody's ass out of the out of the archdiocese down in East yep. Texas, uh, <laughs> because that definitely deserves your attention tonight. Uh, when we continue, we will also talk uh, about a couple of other right-wing nonsense things, um, including a Florida teacher who got the axe for using MX instead of Ms. or Mr. in emails and other communications. And we'll also try and get to a sticks and stones should break their bones story. Um, sadly, the words have not been enough to take them off of Capitol Hill, those two twat heads, MTG and Lauren Boebert. We'll try and get into all that and more before we go to the news. And we have a special guest next hour joining us to talk about a uh, little correction at the NHL. Stay with us, Johnny Mack and Richie Roy on the GBC Happy Hour. It's not always laughter and games on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mac, but when it is, you'll know when it's time to cut them off. Now, back to the beer pong. Uh, I mean show. Boys? Welcome back to the Happy Hour. And uh, yeah, to pivot a little bit, we've had I thought, a good conversation, but we've got a bunch of fun things to talk about. The first uh, one to talk about is that the man in Rome, in the pretty dress with the cute shoes, uh, he fucked some shit up this week. Uh, <laughs> he did. <laughs> <laughs> you go, papal buddy. Um, yeah, the uh, Pope Francis, uh, <laughs> he has had this ongoing problem with this bishop down in East Texas. Uh, the guy's name is Joseph Strickland, and uh, Bishop Strickland, uh, he has been very supportive of the whole mega movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has not uh, been on board with uh, the Vatican's um, being uh, ready and willing to try and minister to uh, sexual minorities or yep. to um, other more progressive causes within the church like um you know, efforts towards, uh, you know, normalizing women <laughs> as full human beings, I guess. Yeah. Um, but 
he has even, I think, inferred from what I've read that the Pope himself should be taken out. And I don't think it's a smart move when supposedly the Pope is the uh, closest human on earth to God. Uh, Okay, so you may not believe in the G word, but at least within the bounds of their faith, uh, you don't talk down about about the big guy because he's like the right hand to, I mean, well, I guess he'd be the left hand because the son is the right hand, um, you know, to the really big guy in the sky. And so <laughs> uh, Strickland is out. He got his ass kicked out last week. And he knew it was going to happen. I mean, unless this Pope was just going to be a total wimp. Uh, I've just been waiting for this for a long time because this has been brewing for not weeks and days, but for months and years. And it was good to see that the Pope uh, finally uh, had something to say about, you know, about this ultra mega bishop and his nonsense and that they weren't going to put up with that, especially when he has more than any other Pope, I think, except maybe John Paul I, who only got to live for a month because they didn't like him. Uh, you know, I don't know. It just, as somebody who grew up Catholic, this this warmed the, the cockles of my heart. Yeah, I mean, because I, and I think what, what this reflects is, um, it reflects a, a, a reality that is not, not just, you know, sort of, uh, the U.S. oriented, right. because there is a there is a sort of schism within the Catholic Church that is essentially similar to in this country we have most people and then we have the magas, and in the Vatican I think what you have is you have this the the make the Vatican great again folks <laughs> who are you know extremely revanchist and and are still reeling over Vatican II and you know the the native language mass um, versus the vast majority of people who are like well I do what the Pope says the, the you know the the aircraft carrier that is the Catholic Church is telling me to do this one thing that I've always done and that's fine and I'll chill out. But you, but I think that there's a similar kind of fracture happening in the Catholic Church that we have here, where you have most people. I, I would say, you know, the vast majority of folks, um, you know, setting aside gerrymandering and all that stuff, are kind of well-intentioned, good-minded folks. And then you have the magas, and so I think there's there's a similar kind of like crack up happening in the Vatican in the U.S. This was just a microcosm of that. Yep. So. On another front, and because it's always funny to see when uh, you have one of those um, uh, Alexis and Crystal moments from vintage Dynasty, 1980s <laughs> style, uh, where they end up in the pool dressed. Uh, now we have Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who we've heard about these issues brewing before on the floor of the United States House of Representatives. But uh, apparently there's been some ugly language behind uh, behind Lauren's back by Marjorie Taylor Greene. And um, the stuff I have seen come out of her mouth lately and, you know, right there on the floor of the House or in uh, committee chambers, it just I'm, I'm dumbfounded. 
I'm absolutely gobsmacked to use the uh, language of our friends who live across the pond. Yeah, it, 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 it just it just it, it's funny to watch. You know, it's this Schadenfreude to watch these two dipshits go at each other. At the same time, though, if you want to kind of step back a, a minute, the fact that these are both elected officials in this country uh, acting like this gives you sort of makes you kind of you know weep a little bit. And because the specific language that has been used here is truly, on a capital level, is truly an example of the pot calling the kettle black, if I've ever heard it. So according to the Daily Beast, they are reporting that our friend MTG from Georgia has been referring to our friend Ms. Bobert <laughs> from Colorado as a whore. Um, that's how she talks to her, apparently, among her other Republican lawmakers. And one House member, according to the reporting, told the publication that they heard Green use that word multiple times to describe Bobert. Calling her a whore, that's not new, the unnamed member of Congress said. She's been doing that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it all reminds me of that, that classic scene from Real Housewives of New Jersey where Teresa f flips the table over and says, prostitution, whore! It's just, I just can't believe that, that, that we're living in this kind of reality TV world where the Lauren Boberts and the MTGs are are trading, you know, calling each other bitch on the floor, calling each other whore, you know, in back rooms. I mean, you know, if it was still on TV, I could see these two actually being um, uh, special guest stars uh, and having a arm wrestling match on uh, Honey Boo Boo. Yeah, I mean, actually, Bravo uh, should take it on. instead of the Real Housewives. It should be the Real House members. You know, do just do a. Uh, <laughs> Don't do a say that too loud or that with uh, the current house. Other talentless hack, uh, what's his name? Andy Cohen will probably have it on TV before you know it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, that I mean, come on, ladies. Just why don't you both move out to Louisiana into one of those shacks on a swamp, hang out with those, you know, gator hunters. And just never let us hear from you again. Unless, of course, one of those gators eats you, and then we're going to want to know that that happened. But, exactly. Yeah, it's and then, it's just a joke. I mean, just talk about decorum on Capitol Hill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then and then we had a story that's actually kind of like a little bit of a a little bit of a bummer, actually, which is we had a teacher in the great state of Florida um, who was fired recently. Because in their email signature, they used the the um, honorific MX instead of Ms. or Mr. And this was their kind of, you know, I think actually very, very subtle and, you know, uh, I guess you could even say dog whistly way because of the don't say gay bills. That was their way of sort of winking and saying to their students and the people that they work with, hey, I don't buy all, I don't buy into this shit. I, yeah. I, I thought that was actually a very very classy idea to do that, but the school thought otherwise, and uh, and fired the teacher, you know, for you know inappropriate conduct because you know using a, a gender inspecific 
honorific for your, uh, you know, for your introduction on your email signature, um, you know, is 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 obviously, uh, you know, essentially sexualizing the, you know, the school. It's ridiculous. I would like to see somebody actually etch the word woke into Ron DeSantis's forehead and into his ass cheeks. Uh, and to do it with a brand, you know, like Firebrand. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I because he should have to wear that word for having made this whole thing what it has become. And it's a whole lot of hoo-ha in a land that supposedly has uh, as a cornerstone uh, freedom of speech. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, don't don't even get it twisted. I mean, the 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 laissez-faire, hands-off uh, version of the cons- of conservatism slash republicanism mm-hmm. is gone. It's about intervent. It is about intensive intervention in your own personal life whenever they see fit. So don't get that wrong. That that they've lost that battle. That's not what they're doing now. If you didn't get enough this hour, wait till next hour, because. That's right around the corner, and Richie Roy and Johnny Mac are going to be here for some more delicious conversation. We would love to have you season it with your own flavoring, so you can call us at 760-677-0111. In the hour ahead, we are going to be talking with our friend Sid Ziegler from Outsports.com. He'll be joining us from Los Angeles. We'll be talking about the NHL's decision uh, when they kind of well, rescinded that thing about the rainbow tape and the fact that one of their newest franchises has an employee working down on the ice who has come out of the closet. Stay with us. That's all coming up. Mutual, 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 this is the mutual broadcasting system. Lesbian, gay, trans, and even bi-coastal. From the chilly Hudson Valley of New York and California's Furnace of Palm Springs, the Gay BC Radio Network welcomes you to the Gay BC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mack. Rut-row. Welcome to hour number two. Our phone lines are open for you at 760-77-0100. And we are supposed to have Richie Roy here with us right now. And he has disappeared during the break. And I'm not sure exactly where he is at. And uh, we're also supposed to have a special guest with us at this time. Uh, and I'm not sure where, uh, where he is at because I have not had an opportunity to call him because uh, our friend Richie uh, disappeared from us. So um, hang tight for us for just a second. And we're going to, uh, uh, boy, I'm really concerned. Uh, maybe... The cats attacked Richie. 
Uh, I don't know. He's uh, He has disappeared. So um, give me just a second. We'll get uh, our guest on the line, and, uh, and we will uh, continue with more of the GBC Happy Hour in just one moment. He has reemerged. Glad you could join us for the second hour of the show. Thank you. <laughs> you forget, I managed to forget lock myself we, out of my office. You what? I I closed the door and I'd gone downstairs to refresh my seltzer, and I came back upstairs and my office door was locked. Oh my and god! Well, you know, I managed to you know get it jimmied open. While you were doing that, and I was playing a little uh, Barry White there. Um, we managed to get uh, Sid Ziegler on the phone, and he, of course, is joining us from Outsports.com. And as we promised earlier, we were going to open this hour up and talk a little bit about uh, uh, one little uh, victory that had to do with apparently uh, taking the uh, tape off of their brains and uh, <laughs> showing some common sense uh, over the rainbow tape matter that uh, the NHL had said, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, you can't have that on the blade of your hockey stick. No, that's too queer for us. Uh, and so I wanted to invite him back to talk about that. But also, since that time, uh, we have learned that one of the National Hockey League's newest franchises, the Seattle Kraken, their trainer has actually taken the step out of the closet. And I'm not surprised that it would be a really uh, – safe environment for them to do it in that particular organization because knowing several people who work for Oakview Group at very senior levels in management who themselves are LGBTQ, um, it, I can't imagine that they would ever have a problem uh, in the uh, climate pledge arena or within their organization. But for that matter, I just thought we would invite Sid back and ask him uh, his thoughts on all this and, and how that will help uh, LGBT people throughout the league and throughout other professional sports. So welcome back, Sid. Guys, John, I have so much to say about what you just said. So number one, let me share with you, you, you mentioned the Oakview group, the Oakview group. So we had a non-binary, uh, uh, Brian Bell, is our, our professional wrestler. Um, he covers professional wrestling for Outsports. He went to an event hosted by the Oakview Group, and and they were Brian was profiled, and we have this whole story about how the Oakview Group, even in Seattle, profiled Brian based on their looks and how they showed up. and um, You mean that in the negative you, sense? Yes, 100%. Oh, you my God. Look at that. The Oakview group uh, apologized to Brian. You should take a look at that. Brian very much presents as non-binary, and when Brian showed up as a credentialed member of the media... Brian was profiled and ushered into uh, a kind of a, a mosh pit of seat fillers. You should take a look at that. But well, I bite my but, tongue. Then I'm sorry, but you know uh, but that. Forget, but, the, but, but but John, you know, 
you have on the one hand the Oakview Group profiling a non-binary person yeah. um, mistakenly. On the flip side, you have in the NHL professional hockey, you have Luke Prokop is the only publicly out gay person, the gay player in men's professional hockey. He plays for an affiliate of the Nashville, Tennessee Predators. He just got advanced to the AHL, which is the level just below the NHL. So you look at, we, we talk about how the LGBT access to sports and you talk about in Seattle. Oh, of course, of course, people in Seattle will have unfettered access. You have in Seattle a non-binary person unfairly profiled, and then you have in Nashville, Tennessee, an out gay athlete advancing through the levels of professional hockey. So, you know, at Out Sports, we always talk about you never know where acceptance and where the lack of acceptance is going to show up. Yeah, and that's crazy because we just started yeah. this program off this week uh, talking about uh, what's going on in Murfreesboro, uh, Tennessee, and you know, and and how the climate is so different in different pockets of a place like Tennessee, which has been really um, chomping at the bit apparently to compete with the state of Florida for being a bunch of knuckleheads on LGBTQ equality issues, but um, you know it it's it disappoints me to hear that, and I wish I had read that before I came on here and made that statement tonight. Um, and and you know I think John. honestly we you know we need to go have a sit down with uh, our friend. Uh, John Bolton, who's the senior vice president of the Oakview Group, who actually is based here out of uh, the Coachella Valley uh, in Southern California, and ask what the hell is going on because he himself is an openly gay man and he is one of their senior most executives in the organization uh, who not only has responsibility for stuff going on here in the greater Palm Springs area, but basically for all of their new facilities that they're building throughout North America. So um, that's I crazy. I will send you the links, but listen, here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing, John, and you and I have talked about this for years. Sports do not get enough credit. I get it. The, the OVU group, they made a mistake. I got that. Did they apologize? But you have to. Yes, they did. Okay. But you have to you ha look at what Luke Prokop with the Nashville Predators organization is going through. Yeah. Kevin Maxson, the out gay Jacksonville Jaguar. Jacksonville is one of the reddest places in all of America. Sure. Look at what is going on in professional sports. The acceptance level of these people, and I get the Oakview group made a mistake. Let's talk about these acceptances. Justin Rogers, that you mentioned, the Seattle Kraken. Let's yep. talk about those amazing points of acceptance. Uh, and, and oh, no doubt. I mean. I recognize that this is that this is very slow in coming throughout all of uh, 
sports, but when it happens, it's such a big deal because at least there are these people who've made these um, brave, bold moves to to be out. And, um, you know, and I think that, you know, I mean, I'm interested in hearing what you think the impact of somebody like Justin Rogers, who's not a player, not a coach, but he is a trainer. He is down on the ice, uh, you know, who has the ability to um, open hearts and minds. Justin Rogers came to an outsports event in 2017, 16, five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. Justin has been out in his sport for years. Really? And it's beautiful. Why is it now? Why is it taking until now for that to, you know, be known or to be talked about? John. John, he has been out on Instagram for years. If you go back to Justin Rogers, he's a trainer for the Seattle Kraken, the NHL team. Go back through his Instagram. He's been out for years. No one has cared. Yeah. No one in the NHL And nobody cared. should care. But that's what I'm telling you. That's the level of acceptance in professional men's sports. And we're not reporting on that level of acceptance. And at Outsports, that's what we keep saying over. And you and I have talked about this for two decades. The level of acceptance, from my perspective, is so far beyond what we are. And has been out for years. And it's great that the, the mainstream media is now reporting on it. Sports have accepted Justin Rogers in the NHL and the Seattle years, and I'm so glad that people in the media and fans are now acknowledging that because it's been a reality for years. Yeah. Well, you know, and Seattle's an interesting market, too, because a lot of people think of it as being this really progressive place. I think it's a pretty even Steven um, market in terms of uh, the uh, political wins and, and tolerance of uh, different social issues, uh, you know. But uh, certainly I saw the same kind of thing happen uh, in Seattle when a uh, guy who I grew up working with and we were friends at one time many years ago, uh, in, we were working the sports beat in Seattle back in the uh, early 80s together, uh, and that was Dory Monson, who ended up, uh, prior to his passing this past year, uh, he was, uh, a couple of years ago, he was uh, removed, uh, the Seattle Seahawks in a NFL franchise, ended up pulling his uh, press credentials, uh, and I don't think he ever got him back. He was part of the broadcast team for the Seahawks on radio uh, because on his uh, regular radio show, he had made some transphobic, uh, comments and the team yeah. was not going to tolerate, uh, you know, having to deal with that kind of a, you know, or the reaction that would come in a community like Seattle from something like that. So, you know, and I know that there was a lot of controversy on both sides of that and people not happy about Dory losing uh, his access and, and being part of that. A lot of people thought that that was just a woke move, but, but, um, you know, and you hear things like, you know, Mark Cuban and, and the remarks he's made in the past about, uh, you know, about his, uh, the people who are on his payroll better not be uh, homophobic and such. And it's, 
you know, it warms my heart, but I just want to see us be able to have people who can be out and not have to worry about any sort of negative ramifications uh, because of their sexual orientation. You know, the first Super Bowl that I, as a reporter for Outsports, ever asked for a credential was the 2014 Super Bowl. It was uh, February 2015. It was Seattle versus New England. And the NFL, the first time I ever asked for a credential, gave me a credential. Yeah. Ten years ago, John, ten years ago, the NFL said, yes, Outsports should be at the Super Bowl. Again, as yeah. I have said for years. Don't remind me, by the way, as as a Seattle boy, <laughs> that was the most painful game of my life. It was the most glorious day <laughs> as a Patriots fan, yes. <laughs> but, John, look, this is the beauty of sports. Yeah. You and I can banter back and forth. The NFL welcomed a publicly out gay sports reporter for an LGBTQ sports publication 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. Sports are so far beyond where we give them credit for. Yeah. Well, that's that's good. I mean, it makes me feel good in that that's not just a thing in certain parts of the country, but in places that you would maybe not suspect that it, that would be the case and that it's happening everywhere. So um, if it happens in Jacksonville or, you know, wherever, you know, it can happen anywhere. And, and it should. It should just be people doing what they're passionate about and not being discriminated against on the basis of their uh, sexual orientation. So um, I want to – let's go I back know, to – Listen, I know people who are out in LGBTQ in places like the University of Arkansas Athletic Department. We do not give enough credit to major sports organizations, including the SEC and the University of Arkansas, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the, the Nashville Predators, Sports are so far beyond where we give them credit. Sid, we I'm only have you, we only have just a, we literally have less than thirty seconds here, but um, I do want to um, bring you back and talk uh, for a moment uh, after the break a little bit about the stupid um, pride tape thing. So, can you hang on just a moment longer? <laughs> oh, I would be happy to talk about the pride okay. tape. Okay, hang, hang tight. We're going to continue our conversation with Sid Ziegler from OutSports.com. With Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mack. Thanks for joining us right here on the GBC Happy Hour. The Gay BC Happy Hour continues with or without pumpkin spice. Your taste, your show, and your humble hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Yes, indeed. It is us, and we are here, and it is the happy hour. And you're not even locked out of your studio. 
I'm not locked out of the studio anymore. No, no I've learned my lesson. Well, Sid <laughs> Ziegler from Outsports.com is with us. We were talking about um, what we always talk about with him. And so I'm gonna, um, I wanted to keep him over, though, for one more um, segment or part of a segment here so that we could um, ask, because uh, we didn't get a chance. He was out of the country, I think, at the time that the story was breaking about uh, all that was going on with the pride tape on hockey sticks. And it was not long after we first reported that that uh, Outsports.com was talking about the fact that, oh, it's no longer an issue because somebody pulled their head out of their ass or something at the NHL headquarters and said, ah, they can wrap the damn thing. So what happened? Eight months ago, a couple of players in the NHL said, no, we're not going to wear a, a rainbow jersey during warm-ups. Right. And the idiots at the NHL said, oh, we're going to expand that to, we're not going to allow rainbows or or camo or um, a support for cancer on the ice. We're going to say, hey, any effort to support any organization on the ice, we're going to ban. And at Outsports, we realized that this was very clearly about the LGBT community. No one was clamoring to ban camo or pink for, for breast cancer. Right. And so we raised the alarm. And uh, we, we, we pointed out that uh, the NHL was clearly trying to stop people from, you know, and they backed down, uh, you know, because people, people screamed bloody murder, including, by the way, very straight NHL players said, we want to be able to support our Gay brothers, our lesbian sisters. Well, it's been a couple. Our, of, well, it's been a couple of months back now, but I seem to recall that there were people in uh, the NHL headquarters office that uh, had uh, sticks just in their cubicles that had the tape on it themselves, and and that it was like no big deal to anybody. And so, who did it become a big deal to? Who was the one who decided that they had to go to that place to begin with? Gary Bettman is the commissioner of the NHL. And eight, nine months ago, he began this push to stop <laughs> players from advocating for the LGBTQ community on the ice. And it's up to him. I mean, you know, out sports every year, has a series of awards that we give out. One of those awards is the bonehead, is the <laughs> asshole of the year. <laughs> and gosh, uh, while we haven't as a staff voted on it, Gary Bettman is the front runner for the asshole of the year. You're looking at an issue that was. Begging for a solution. No one, 
no one was no one was pushing anyone to use pride tape on their stick. Right. It, it, yeah. The NHL a year ago was probably regarded as the most pro-LGBT league amongst all the major men's pro leagues. Yeah. Today, 12 months later, thanks to Gary Bettman, they are probably last. They went from first to last in 12 months because of this nonsense. Yeah, I mean, the thing that really, I mean, sort of strikes me about it is um, the, the the how it was not thought through at all. Because the idea that an individual can't, that the, the, the prohibition was on even individual players on their own choice with no, you know, concerted effort or anything, want to put a tape of their choice on their, you know, on their hockey stick for a practice. The idea that that it was that level of intervention and control over players, like that seems to me like really chilling. Like, you know, like and and, you know, regardless of what, you know, it sort of it it suggests um, such an like autocratic situation even more than maybe exists. So I don't know. I just found like like it just seemed like it sent a chilling message that, you know, if you wanted to display solidarity with your gay cousin or your gay aunt or your gay parent that you couldn't even privately and personally put a a pride tape on your hockey stick and practice with it. And that is a beautiful part of this. The players union and the players revolted. The players Mm -hmm. said, no, you are removing my ability to express and I'm going to get emotional about this. <laughs> my sister is a lesbian, and you are removing my ability to express my support for my sister. The straight cisgender players revolted in the NHL. And they changed the policy. Sorry. No. Well, the important thing is is that uh, it was repealed and that um, they're the ones who came out looking kind of stinky on that and that the players, uh, that they look good on this issue, especially with so many LGBTQ fans and and such. So, um, Sid, we thank you for joining and staying uh, extra innings with us tonight. We'll do it again sometime soon, I hope, and hope that you have a very nice uh, holiday week this next week. I get emotional about this stuff. Thank you for having me, you know, and I so appreciate the NHL players for standing up for our community. Sid Ziegler, Outsports.com, joining us this evening on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack, back after the news update. The GBC Radio Network presents the weekly public service, the GBC Happy Hour Seal of Approval. Does it fly or does it die? Products, services, and customer service that will turn you on or turn you off. Does the cup runneth over? 
or has the well gone dry? Richie and Johnny, take it away. Indeed, it is time for the recommendations and demerits. I think uh, the the demerit, the, the sort of galactic demerit of the week goes to George Santos, by the way. Oh. <laughs> In the prior na- news segment, they mentioned that um, the gay uh, representative from Long Island, uh, the ethics report came out today and it was a bombshell. It was just... You know, he spent thousands of dollars at Hermes and for Botox and for uh, OnlyFans subscriptions. I mean, you know, the li- literally the yes. I want to get a list, list of those and see if the if any of our friends <laughs> are on, <laughs> on his follow list. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good question. But yeah, so um, what what a disgrace. Um, and you know, the, the most what like if he's, sort of, what if he's know, following Sea Bear? Oh, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, no, no, yeah, I, I guess mean, I was sort of the, the first ta- follower, so. He's sort of the talented Mr. Ripley of, you know, our current uh, political climate. But, yeah, so yeah. demerit to him. I will give my seal of approval this week is going to um, Lagusta Chocolates. Now, this is a... <laughs> this is a brand of chocolate. Uh, they make it, it is actually based locally here in New Paltz, New York. And their claim to fame is they are a vegan chocolatier. And if you hear the words vegan chocolatier, you think, oh, that's going to taste terrible. Right. Or it's going to be grainy. It's going to suck. It's not going to be what I want because when I think about chocolate, I think about decadence and, and silkiness and all those things. What? Can vegans have milk? No. Okay, so you can't have chocolate without milk, right? Well, I mean, you can you can use other butters. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you can I mean, you, you can use um, you know if different milk. If you think milks. it's butter, but it's not. Well, here's the thing: Lagusta's chocolates, um, and I love chocolate. I love uh, chocolatiers. Like you know, I love C's. I love Keys. I love. A lot of these kind of classic brand, you know, chocolate brands. Godiva is fine. It's a little bit too greasy for me, but whatever. You know, Lint is great. I, we can talk chocolates till the cows come home, literally. Um, but these vegan chocolates from Lagusta are indistinguishable from regular chocolates. They have beautiful uh, fillings, a great mouthfeel. To me, I think um, Lagusta's chocolates are in many ways better than standard chocolates that I've had from almost any purveyor and they happen to be vegan. So I'm I that's my recommendation of the week is Lagusta's chocolates. The only thing I feel like should be allowed inside of a chocolate of any sort is either something caramel or peanut butter. And I don't necessarily mean like, you know, a Reese's peanut butter cup, but I mean like to me those are the only complimentary flavors that I like with the with the flavors of chocolate. And so you like so like I, I don't you, really you like would, fruity things inside them. Like from C's, you would get the nuts and chews. You would get yeah. the yeah. the caramel. I mean, I've had them all, all kinds or all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, and I and it's not that I hate those other things. It's just um, I don't enjoy them. Like it's not you know a treat to me. Like I just. I love chocolate and caramel, you know, some nougaty thing together. You know, it's just. And if you ever go to Seattle, Peen, and this goes for everybody in our 
listening audience, uh, anybody who lives there or um, around there or uh, visits there, um, there is a chocolatier in Seattle um, known as Dilettante Chocolates. And Mm. they actually have, uh, they were oft a um, favorite of the Queen of England. Um, Really? Yeah. She she was one of their uh, most famous uh, ongoing customers. And um, apparently they ship because I don't, I, I think she's maybe been to Seattle once ever. So, right. but yeah, um, but the, the chocolates that they have there are really great. And of course, I have a friend who used to be a manager for them. And he used to, we actually shared a home. And he used to come home all the time with these buckets of chocolate covered espresso beans. And that was, uh, uh, you know, form of crack cocaine to me for a while. I think that's one of the reasons I don't drink coffee now. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I would say, you know, if you're into, the, they they have a bunch of different varieties at Lagustas, because uh, I am more of a nuts and shoes guy myself, like you. Um, but they have some uh, some fruit uh, based fillings that are actually i find quite beguiling you know like let's say like a sour cherry and thyme gelée hmm. or like uh like lemon you know like lemon rosemary you know lemon curd and rosemary or just really interesting like, combinations I, I like tart things but generally when i've tasted um fruity things in chocolate it almost to me like really cheapens it so i know what you're saying because i used to say that Chocolate and raspberry together was too whorish for me, and I wouldn't eat that combo. Yeah, <laughs> but I've I've modulated over time, and I will eat it. But it does still taste a little bit whorish to me. Yeah, and the thing is, I love raspberry, but I don't really necessarily like raspberry with chocolate. So, yeah, and and so and the other thing too um, is uh, is yeah, I would I would really. I'm going to get you a box of Lagustas, Johnny. I'm going to send it to you, and I want to hear your thoughts on them because okay. I think that they are sort of singularly amazing. And even if I if you didn't know they were vegan, you would not know. Maybe I'll invite our Ted friend over, and we can uh, share a couple of them because, you know, he is yeah. a vegan. So. Um. Well, for me this week, I hadn't really given a lot of thought to it. Um, I had a couple of things that I was going to hand demerits out to this week, but I've decided to <laughs> hold off on that because I've been, well, you know, we're going into Thanksgiving and, you know, it just doesn't seem right that I should be busting somebody's chops this week. Um, other than maybe American Express, but um, uh, <laughs> did I say that? Well, <laughs> at any rate, uh, I'm not. I'm not really uh, going to do any of my demerits this week. However, I would say, um, since you're on that um, topic, that there is somebody who you've heard an advertisement for on this program who I think really deserves uh, people, if you like fruit, if in particular you like strawberries, and if you're lucky enough to live in a place where they're products are distributed and they are distributed in various places all throughout the United States. There is a farm called Good Farms and um, they have a huge operation down in San Diego County 
here in Southern California. But their products are distributed, as I said, all over the country. And they, you know, you could walk into a, um, like, uh, depending on the time of year, uh, their strawberries will be on sale at, like, Costco's and uh, in their warehouses. And they also make this amazing strawberry juice. But the thing I love about Good Farms, and you can find them online and order from them online, the thing I love about them the most is that they participate, as the ad says, in this thing called EFI, Equity Food Initiative. And what that means is that, among other things, they are committed to making sure that all of those people who are out in the fields picking the berries, uh, as well as others who work, you know, from, uh, you know, from the farm to the, you know, to the shelves, um, that they are all being uh, treated equitably in terms of compensation for what they do and all that. And they also take um, a lot of stuff that would otherwise not be right to go to market and create it into products that um, the berries are totally fine, but they may not be appealing to look at. And mm-hmm. so they um, create other food products with that stuff that um, goes to needy people in communities that, that they sell in. So um, read about uh, about EFI because it's it's an important thing, I think, uh, in terms of all around the country for people who work in uh, agriculture to uh, be treated uh, in a way where they're getting a fair you know, fair day's wage and benefits and all that kind of stuff. And, and I want to support companies that do, um, that do treat their employees that way and have a great product, by the way. We used to actually have our refrigerators at, at the office uh, stuffed with um, cases of their strawberry juice, and it was, it was a delight. Oh, that that is that is something I miss from the West Coast for sure. Yeah. But um, but you know, I I, I think that um, that yeah, it's it's important to um, to really focus on uh, food equity. I think that's a huge. I think that's a huge story that's not talked about enough because you know, like I'm really I'm really fixated on where my food comes from. You know, mm-hmm. I want to know the literal farms where it's grown, where the animals live, and what the conditions are. But I acknowledge that that's, you know, in our current world, that's kind of a privileged place to be. But that there needs to be more accessibility to that level of high quality produce and meat to everyone. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I would say um, is I know, you know, is that uh, if you have a local natural food store, organic food store, co-op or whatever, Ask them if they if they do EBT or if they do SNAP benefits, and if they don't, you should really advocate that they do that because right. there are several um, the 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 High Falls Food Co-op where I go, they accept SNAP and EBT as uh, does the the Nature Food Store in New Paltz. But you know, I remember there was a time when they didn't or couldn't, and to do the work to get that done is a really key piece of the food equity equation. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. So, um, you know, put the, you know, not necessarily the pressure, but, you know, put the, you know, put it in people's ears that that is an important uh, issue in terms of your support for, uh, you know, people who you are, you know, the places where you do commerce. And uh, you can make a difference that way and help a lot of other people who are, 
uh, in need of that kind of thing. Um, one thing I also wanted to bring up is that we're coming into the holiday this next week for Thanksgiving in the United States. And we, Richie and I were talking about whether or not we should actually do a live program for this next week. And we're going to pre-record a show. So it'll be an original show for, uh, that will air on our live channel first, and then it will be available, as always, as a podcast. But it will um, run next Thursday. And that program, uh, you know, will be available for you to find on demand because we know a lot of people are going to be with families or, you know, out, you know, uh, having a feast with people that they love and care about and want to be around. Um, but I was thinking one of the things that we should really focus on, and I want to encourage people, you can drop us a line uh, in the next few days, if you're listening live or if you catch this program um, between now and through the end of uh, this weekend coming up um, ahead of Thanksgiving, uh, you want to send us an email to um, either Richie at gbchappyhour.com or Johnny, or I don't know if it's John or Johnny, just send it to Richie. Send it to Richie at gbchappyhour.com. There's also a link on our GBC Happy Hour page that you can click on to send an email. And I would love it if people would send us messages, um, kind of really thought-provoking and, um, uh, you know, heartfelt messages about what they're grateful for in this year because we've had so many negative things, uh, influences going on around us in this world, uh, you know, over the last several years. But, you know, it, it just has not really gotten a lot easier in this past year and we're still you know trying to pull ourselves back after the pandemic and such it would be really fun to share your um your thoughts about what you know what you're grateful for what you're thankful for as we go into this holiday so you share those um you don't have to have your names read or anything like that if you want to if you want to give us a fake name that's fine too but um but we'd love to hear your stories and um and what you're thankful for uh, in 2023 and share those as we get ready to go into the holiday seasons and uh, season and kick that off uh, with our show that will uh, first air on Thursday the 23rd of November of 2023. Yeah and uh, I can say uh, with with complete sincerity that I am thankful this year for doing the GBC happy hour with you Johnny. Likewise. And for us being able to have spent time with so many of our friends together here in one one place, um, not just you know virtually online, but in you know in real life, uh, just a short couple of weeks ago, that was so much fun and and so nice to you know put faces with uh, names and voices and such. So um, and we're going to do a lot more of that. And we'll talk about some of our plans for that in the upcoming weeks to have some events where we meet up with people in different places around North America. So hopefully you'll have an opportunity to come and join us and to play around and, and, you know, live life. So thank you for being along with us. We're going to continue with more of the show. We've got the mixology segment coming up next with Richie jumping into the bar to get his apron on. Homo mixologist Richie Roy and his ice cube handler Johnny Mac present the latest lessons from the Gay BC Happy Hour School of Mixology. 
as they say at Gay BC, bottoms up. Who? <laughs> Welcome back to the happy hour, and uh, we are in the mixology corner. I've got my apron on. I've, I'm standing behind the bar, and I'm thinking about Thanksgiving this week. It's uh, it's coming up, as is my birthday. So, um, and if so I th- recall right, your birthday happens to fall on the holiday this year. That is true. Yes. So, uh, for the Thanksgiving slash birthday drink of the week, um, what I'm going with is a fresh cranberry cosmo so kind of simple but i just feel like the you know cranberry is such an iconic sort of flavor in the thanksgiving you know arsenal and one that i actually really appreciate because so much of thanksgiving food is either meaty fatty buttery or just generally rich and so i love the cranberry because it's the only acidic flavor that introduces itself during that meal and so i always love to have that and so I was thinking of kind of like amplifying that with a delicious cranberry uh, cocktail. And so what this in- entails is making a cranberry granita first, which is water, cr- you know, cranberries, uh, sugar, and lime zest. And you cook them for a little bit, and then you blend them up, and then you strain them, and then you put them on, you know, a sheet pan to uh, to uh, to freeze. Um, and they freeze overnight. And so you end up with this kind of cranberry granita, which is sort of like a cranberry sorbet in a way. And what you do is you then take some vodka, some of the granita, and a little lime juice. You shake it up in a shaker, and you're done. So it's vodka, basically, you know, cranberry uh, sauce, a cranberry puree, and lime. Very simple, but I think that that bitterness, that nice bitterness of the cranberry is going to be a nice counterpoint to your Thanksgiving meal. And who doesn't love cranberry at Thanksgiving? Right? Yeah. It's so good. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to love the um, the ocean spray, the can, where you actually just you, you just inverted the, the whole tube of the can right out onto the plate. <laughs> um, and my mom would us. make a homemade <laughs> cranberry relish that we did not like as much, and we, we always clamored for the canned one. But uh, as I get older, I, I realize that the, the homemade cranberry relish was actually so much better. <laughs> That's funny because, you know, um, in my childhood, uh, after the first time I tried a little bit of that um, gelatinous stuff that looked like somebody just cut up a solid chunk of Campbell's soup that was solid red uh, <laughs> and had it sitting there in the bowl, um, I just was like, ugh, yuck. And and so for years, I never tried or had cranberry with my, you know, with anything. And then it would be, I don't know, probably in my early 20s that it was the first time I really had, like, fresh cranberries. And I was, like, so bowled over. I was so pissed at myself for not having um, enjoyed this. Uh, fruity tart delicacy. Uh, I love cranberry now. I just absolutely love it. Oh yeah, it's great. I mean, and yeah, because that's that's the kind of cranberry relish I'm talking about. Is basically you take a bag of whole cranberries, you throw in some water, some maple syrup, 
maybe some Grand Marnier, some orange zest, some you know, some orange juice, mm-hmm. a little ruby port even can go in there, and you cook that down until you know the the cranberries basically explode and fall apart, and what you have is this this tangy, citric, funky, um, delicious sauce or you know or sort of relish that um really uh punches against all that richness that you get in all the rest of the meal okay you and the house guest get to come over and spend uh thanksgiving with us now i'm looking forward (laughs) to you cooking yeah no that that is yeah that is the um that is my favorite thing i love the the cranberry i mean this year i'm having thanksgiving with my neighbors and um, I've been tasked with making a cazoulet. So I will be making a rustic French bean and meat dish, a uh, mm. hearty stew, um, okay. which is, you know, it, it's actually, it's, it's sort I of hilariously I was getting that mixed up with meat. the cabriolet. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is hilariously meat-filled. It, it requires duck legs, uh, salt pork, sausage, and pork shoulder. And some beans. So it's basically a bunch of meat and beans in a bunch of chicken broth. That's Are you cooked using down spam for the soft. pork shoulder portion? What? Are you using spam for the pork shoulder portion? No way, Jose. Okay, I'm just curious because that's what it is. So, uh, no, I, I will be I will be sourcing a pork shoulder from the farmers market this Saturday. <laughs> okay, okay. Poor piggy. If I can get one. Poor little piggy. Oh, yeah. We know a lot but, of poor um, little piggies, but uh, <laughs> in a different way. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, there was one story we kind of left on the table tonight, and I thought we'd take just a couple of minutes before we uh, before we knock out of here uh, and talk about that maybe for a moment. And that has to do with um, our favorite political party uh, doing what they do and do best, which is... Um, pissing the Wheaties of good people. And uh, we got to see a congresswoman from Massachusetts deliver a a pretty sharp-tongued speech on the United States House floor last week, uh, taking her colleagues on the other side of the aisle, the Republican side, to task for ripping out funding from an affordable housing initiative that was aimed at LGBTQ plus seniors and in march yeah uh, there was a request for two million dollars in funding for uh, uh, an affordable senior housing development in her district uh, known as the pride p-r-y-d-e and um, that was coming out of a funding process uh, being done during a meeting of the house appropriations committee uh, community project funding process and the project which broke ground the pride project um, which broke ground last year is going to convert a former public school building in uh, Boston's Hyde Park neighborhood into 74 units of affordable housing that was supposed to be used for LGBTQ plus seniors well that ain't happening they stripped uh, they voted, the Republicans did, voted to strip 850 grand that had been earmarked for that project um, out of the bill. And uh, Republican from Maryland, Andy Harris, 
uh, alleged that the project would discriminate against street people. <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> so one thing we have to not be thankful for next week is Representative Andy Harris, Republican from Maryland, who needs it's, to have his ass lacquered. It's so stupid because the thing is, as we've talked about on this show before, um, just because of the realities of gay life, gay you know gay elders are way less likely to have family members to rely on. Yep. And so it's really important to focus on LGBTQ um, elder care. And what that looks like because of the reality. This person who says it's going to discriminate against straight people, they're they're not living in a in a factual world where a problem that exists, which is LGBTQ elders not having any family any support network at all, um, because of both uh, you know not having children and because of you know the AIDS a- epidemic that ravaged you know communities. Um, that uh, that they they you know they perceive that as a dig on on straight people. It's actually just acknowledging a re, a real problem on the ground, and yeah. it's so dispiriting to see this being a political football. Yeah, Ayanna Presley, the Democrat from Massachusetts, um, she was quoted as saying, "Republicans are choosing homophobia over housing." profits over people, cruelty over compassion. Their actions to target, attack, and dehumanize our LGBTQ siblings are nothing more than a show of contempt. And she characterized those Republicans defunding the pride as an act of policy violence that, quote, contributes to the physical violence that far too many LGBTQ folks experience, end quote. And she said that she wanted her LGBT constituents and siblings in the movement to know that they deserve safe and affordable housing and to be seen and loved and that she is never going to stop working and fighting for them. So um, I would give our Hero of the Week award, if we had one, um, to Representative (laughs) Ayanna Presley, Democrat from Massachusetts, serving in the United States House of Representatives. Good on her. Thank you. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And um, and yet, I mean, it, it's important to have allies like that, you yeah. know, in the face of, again, relentless trolling and relentless, you know, retrenchment and all of the forces that we have to contend with. It's good. It's really good to have allies like that. Richie Roy, I will see you front and center here, um, although by tape delay, uh, for your birthday party and our our thanksgiving celebration indeed so i hope you have a fantastic week the rest of the week and we'll catch up with you all next week on the holiday if you can't be here with us uh, at our live broadcast time please do join us on the podcast and let your friends and family and anyone else your enemies if you think we're worthy of that <laughs> know about this podcast it's available everywhere almost that you could get a podcast especially like apple and stitcher and spotify and so on May your shadow fall in pleasant places. Have a good night, Richie. Good night. Mutual, mutual, bradla. Mutual, mutual, bradla. This is the mutual broadcasting system.